1: a people-first approach to higher education transformation improves success. An EY report suggests that taking emotional and psychological factors into account is just as important as the technology. Six factors drive this human-centred approach. Leadership, inspiration, care, empowerment, investment and collaboration. Get these right and they can more than double an organization's chance of transformation success. Learn more about people-first transformation at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.
2: Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, Madeline here. The Science Weekly team is taking some time off, and we're going to be back with you next week. But until then, here's one of our favourite episodes from last year, the launch of the long-awaited James Webb Space Telescope. In 2022, the James Webb Space Telescope brought us some incredible images from our universe, from some of the first galaxies to form after the Big Bang to a totally new view on the pillars of creation. In this episode, my co-host Ian Sample speaks to Professor Jaya Wardner about JWST and the quest to discover our place in the cosmos. We'll no doubt be seeing a lot more from the James Webb Space Telescope in 2023 too. I hope you enjoy the episode. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.
0: It's not often you get the President of the United States announcing the results from a science experiment.
3: Light from other worlds, orbiting stars far beyond our own.
0: It's astounding to me when I read this. The James Webb Space Telescope, the largest and most powerful space-based observatory ever built, took decades to make it to the launch pad. And And lift off.
3: Decollage, liftoff from a tropical rainforest to the edge of time itself.
0: James Webb
3: begins a voyage back to the birth of the
0: universe. After major delays, threatened cancellations and spiralling costs, the $10 billion telescope is now in position, one million miles from Earth, and finally observing the universe. If you heard our episode on Webb back in December 2021, you'll know just how nail-biting the wait has been. But the flurry of images out this week has proved it all worthwhile. We've seen galaxies as they were 13.1 billion years ago, water vapour in the atmosphere of a world beyond the solar system, and the glittering landscape of a stellar nursery, home to stars many times larger than the Sun. And this is only the start. So what do these images really mean for astronomers? And what could web mean for us and our understanding of our place in the universe? I'm Ian Sample, The Guardian Science Editor, and this is Science Weekly. Now, before we start, if you're listening on a computer or phone right now, take a moment to open your web browser, click on a new tab, and search for the JWST first image. Because if you haven't seen it, It's absolutely breathtaking. This incredible, dense collection of galaxies, each filled with billions and billions of stars, shows some as they were more than 13 billion years ago. Just take it in for a second. To unpick what's in this image and what else Webb will be revealing to us in the years to come, I spoke to Ray Jaiwardena, a professor of astronomy at Cornell University and a science team member for one of the instruments on the telescope. Ray, when that first image was released on Monday, President Biden described the telescope as a a new window into the history of our universe. And this was our first look through that window. Tell me what we can see in that first image that came out.
3: First of all, it's a tiny window in the case of that one single image, in that we're looking at a, a minuscule patch of the sky about the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. What we're looking at are thousands of galaxies in that tiny patch of sky. Remember, each of those galaxies harbors tens or even hundreds of billions of stars. And at the center of this picture is a massive cluster of galaxies called SMAX 0723, which itself is about four and a half billion light years away. That means we're looking at that cluster as it appeared f- about four and a half billion years ago. So here we are on a, on a small rocky world circling one mid-sized star in one galaxy in the outskirts of the Milky Way, and we're able to capture all that cosmic splendor with a telescope that we built and launched into space that's now orbiting the sun a million miles away from the Earth.
0: How does it f- compare with what the Hubble Space Telescope could have seen. I mean, Hubble has been NASA's flagship observatory for what, the past 30 years or so. It also looks deep into the universe. How would those images differ if they had been taken by Hubble instead of Webb? Webb is
3: bigger. That means it provides us with much higher resolution. In other words, Webb's vision is sharper, and Webb has a set of instruments that are sensitive to infrared wavelengths, meaning you can look through a lot of foreground dust, but also the light from the farthest reaches of the universe is redshifted into the infrared. So Webb is able to peer deeper and farther back in time. What we shouldn't forget is that this just our very first deep image, very soon Webb will take longer sets of exposures that will probe even deeper and farther back in time in a quest to discover the first galaxies that ever formed.
0: And the more distant these objects are that Webb will be looking at, the more the light from them has been stretched out, right, because of the expansion of the universe. So by looking in the infrared, you know, far more so than Hubble that's why Webb is able to pick out these objects. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. So the sensitivity in the infrared and the fact that its mirrors have a much bigger collecting area than Hubble's are the two factors that allow Webb to deliver the most distant, earliest primeval galaxies in the
0: cosmos. I want to get into this issue, just the sort of fundamental about the telescope in a sense that we're looking back a long way, but we're also sort of relating that to looking back in time. What's the relationship between these two things? Are they the same thing?
3: Well, they're intricately related because light travels at a finite speed, albeit rather fast by human standards. That means light does take time to get here from out there so the light from our sun takes about eight and a half minutes to travel from the surface of the sun to the earth the most distant galaxies that we've imaged so far have taken 13 billion years to get here meaning they are 13 billion light years away so that's the sense in which we are both looking far in distance but also far back in time because light takes that time to get here from there. Meaning by looking farther, we are also looking at earlier epochs in the cosmos.
0: Let's get back to the first image that was released. And you can see this sort of curving and bending in the image. Like, you know, some of the galaxies look like they've been stretched, particularly some of those redder ones on the right hand side of the image. Why is that?
3: The cluster of galaxies that's about four and a half billion light years away in the foreground is bending and magnifying the light of even. More distant galaxies. So it's the lensing effect. Looking at this image, Einstein would be proud because the idea of gravitational lensing emerged from his general theory of relativity. Um, And Fritz Zwicky back in the late 1930s specifically predicted that galaxy clusters may act as natural lenses, bending and magnifying light from galaxies in the same line of sight, but behind the cluster itself. And for the last few decades, astronomers have used the fact that these uh, natural magnifying lenses exist to be able to probe even farther
0: back in distance and time than we could otherwise. So we have this lensing effect and we have... Everything else on JWST, the, the size of the mirror, the sensitivity of the instruments, that will allow us to look back very close to the start of the universe, some of these first stars and galaxies ever to form. Why do scientists want to do that, though? I mean, what are they looking for and hoping to find out? we are hoping to
3: find out how the earliest galaxies formed and evolved In some sense, we're looking at our own cosmic inheritance, how we came to be on this little planet in the outskirts of the Milky Way galaxy. All of that began with the origin of the universe, the origin of the elements, the chemical enrichment over time that allowed elements that are essential for life, like carbon, oxygen, to be forged and dispersed through the earliest generations of stars and to be incorporated into newer generations of stars so that we could be here.
0: Ray, Nasser also released some other images on Tuesday. We saw some nebula, we saw some clusters of galaxies, there was also a spectral analysis where Webb looked at some starlight which had passed through the sort of steamy atmosphere of a hot sort of Jupiter-like planet called WASP-96b about 1,000 light years away, I think. That's another part of what James Webb will be doing, isn't it? Exploring exoplanets, looking at atmospheres. What is that work all about? What are you hoping to try and understand from that aspect of it?
3: This particular uh, release the the spectrum may not look as dazzling as the other web images that were released but it does tell us the kind of atmosphere this alien world harbors Uh, it's a type of planet that we call a hot Jupiter because it's a gas giant like Jupiter in our own solar system except it's much hotter it provides unambiguous evidence of water vapor, it offers indications of haze and evidence of clouds. So with Webb, we can really explore the remarkable diversity of worlds in our cosmic neighborhood. In fact, professionally, that's the aspect I'm most excited about. The idea is that this would pave the way towards identifying those terrestrial worlds that have the right kinds of atmospheres to support life.
0: Are those the sort of planets that astronomers get really excited about, looking at the spectra in those atmospheres?
3: Absolutely. I mean, we really are living in an extraordinary age of discovery when it comes to planets around other stars. After millennia of speculation and decades of failed attempts, in our lifetime, now we've discovered thousands of planets around other stars. 30 years ago, we knew of the one solar system, our own. What's at stake here is, is a true measure of our own place in the universe. It's, in some sense, the, the completion of the Copernican revolution that began 500 years ago, right? Trying to figure out how do we fit in? Um, are we alone? Um, where did we come from? The really, truly fundamental human quest is uh, you know beginning a whole new chapter with james webb so the fun and the learning are just beginning
0: just as a human looking out from this little planet what does it mean to you to see these images at last
3: it's awe inspiring um it it brings out the kid in me i've been part of one of the four instrument teams for 18 years and yet it was always in the future it was going to happen we you know counted on it happening we worked hard to make it happen we hoped it would happen but to actually arrive at this moment um, to see such a complex observatory perform so well beyond all expectations is remarkable it gave me goosebumps perhaps not quite as many as watching the launch of web with my two young children Uh, but it really feels like being part of a cosmic adventure it's sort of the latest chapter of that story
0: ray it's brilliant to have you on to walk us through this thanks so much and look good luck with the analyses ahead i i hope it's as much fun as it sounds it'll be
3: thank you ian it's uh, really been a pleasure speaking with you
0: Thanks again to Professor Ray Giawardena. You can find all our coverage of the JWST on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was Madeline Finley. The sound design was by Tony Onochuku. And the executive producer was Lorna Stewart. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian.
2: Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever you get your podcasts.